Welcome to the Center for Investment Excellence, a production of J.P. Morgan Asset Management. The Center for Investment Excellence is an audio podcast that provides educational insights across asset classes and investment themes. Today's episode is on core alternatives and has been recorded for institutional and professional investors. I'm David Lebowitz, global market strategist and host of the Center for Investment Excellence. With me today is Pulkit Sharma, head of Alternatives Investments Strategy and Solutions. Welcome to the Center for Investment Excellence. Thanks for having me. Before we jump in, I would just like to take the time to acknowledge the volatile period that we are experiencing, both professionally and personally. We're going to be releasing several episodes over the coming weeks across various asset classes and topics to help you navigate this challenging period. If you look at markets, it has been a rocky road over the past few days due to COVID-19 and the recent Fed rate cut to zero. One thing that I would like to emphasize is that it is important for investors to remain focused and objective as much as they can during times like the present. One area we'd like to discuss today is core alternatives. Core alternatives, we believe, can help clients build better portfolios in the current environment and provide a potential solution, offering stable income and a low correlation to equities. So, Pulkit, let's kick off here. How do you define core alternatives? Sure. And David, I totally agree. These are pretty extraordinary times. And core alternatives have a very important role to play. And I'll give you some definitions, but you and I worked on this construct for advising our investors maybe six months ago on the best offense is a good defense. I think that's what we really stand by, and that's where core alternatives can play a very important role. So what are core alternatives? They are asset classes within the private markets world which provide stable income with stability. So two to three times the income of the fixed income world, you know, today it's more three times, and with one-third to two-thirds the volatility of equities from an outcome perspective. The word core in core alternatives, we define that by considering asset classes or assets which have very high forecastability of cash flows with a very low margin of error. Quality of those cash flows is equally important. Core alternatives have roughly 70 to 100% of their total returns coming from income. And that income really comes from contractual sources. So long-term leases underpin that income. What that leads to also is non-correlation or low correlation to the equity markets. Core alternatives have typically lower levels of leverage, and they are a very scalable multi-trillion dollar asset class. And today, they seem to be mispriced versus what's happening in the traditional assets. If you look at a 12-year process of the recovery post-C, a lot of the, I would say, the bubble has happened in the corporate debt world or the financial assets world, that hasn't really happened, or the cap rate or discount rate compression hasn't happened to the same extent in the core alternative space. And we bucket the space now into three major constituents or building blocks of the core space. One is core real estate. Think of core real estate as a category of core alternatives delivering around 4 to 5% income. It's underpinned by well-leased assets, which have high occupancy, usually a non-operating component, so more cash-flowing assets with low leverage. That's an underpinning foundational building block of core alternatives. And then there, is, there are categories which deliver anywhere from a 5 to 7% cash yield. So think of infrastructure assets or assets which are delivering water, wastewater, natural gas to end customers. Think of mezzanine real estate assets, which are assets underpinned by strong cash-flowing real estate properties, but operating at a low level or 60 to 80% of the capital stack. Think of also top-of-the-capital structure 
lending in the residential space or core private credit as another example. And finally, there is a third building block, which is moving infrastructure, transportation assets. These assets, the foundation to them is counterpart exposure and also long-term leases into sectors such as energy logistics or maritime type of assets and leasing type of assets. So look beyond sort of the labels. All of these assets have one thing in common, which is stable income underpinned by contractual cash flows and low volatility of returns. So you mentioned stable cash flows and relatively low volatility. You know, obviously, both those things are front of mind right now, given everything that's happening in markets with respect to COVID-19. Would love for you to comment a little bit on how you think core alternatives may be affected by COVID-19. I mean, do you see any direct impacts on, say, parts of the real estate space, parts of the infrastructure space, and arguably parts of the transportation space? We'd be interested in your thoughts in a little bit more real time of how core alternatives may deal with what everybody's dealing with with respect to the virus. Yes, David, there is an impact. The key thing to remember is what the virus is causing is sort of a change in the macroeconomic environment. And that sort of is how it's trickling down to the core alternative space. And it's sort of creating winners and losers. And we'll talk about that. But you've got to remember that the issue the virus is causing is a structurally lower growth environment. So those factors really play into how the individual segments within core alternatives will be impacted. So let's pick the example of certain segments which you mentioned. Real estate. There are, again, going to be winners and losers. So the major segments which are impacted in real estate are retail, commoditized goods, retail, tourist-oriented retail, hotels have a big impact from what's happening in the travel industry. Anything we think which has very high of leverage are sort of multiple expansion-oriented return profile will see a little bit of an impact. Speculative development projects, greenfield construction, land investing, all of these areas within real estate will have an impact. There are also bright spots. The bright spots would again be going back sort of to the outcomes which core alternatives generate, segments within real estate which have low beta and higher income profile or higher quality of income will tend to do better. What are those segments? We think of commercial mortgage loans, where you are doing asset-backed loans at 50 to 60% on the capital stack, and you can sort of pick and choose the right type of segment sectors and markets, which is actually of prime importance today. Mezzanine real estate investing, where you are taking 60 to 80% capital stack position with the retrenchment of debt funds, that is a good place to be in because you have sort of first-loss equity protection. Core real estate. Real estate, again, has a very big label element to it, but core real estate are properties which have highly forecastable cash flows. We're not talking about non-core. So core real estate, again, cash flows are very important. So if you have long-term contractual leases, good quality of tenant pool in place, that those types of assets tend to do better. Multifamily assets tend to have more inelastic demand than, say, hotels. So there you can see sort of the differences in the real estate space. In infrastructure and transport, again, there is going to be differences between various segments within it. Anything which has a very strong GDP or volumetric component to it will tend to do less better than sort of more contractually cash-flowing infrastructure assets. Anything which has spot leases, weaker counterparties, or a speculative component to it will be more impacted than segments within infrastructure and transport which have inelastic demand uh, which offer essential services, water, wastewater, electricity distribution, or which tend to have very strong counterparty exposure. 
So think of a large oil tanker. So energy prices moving up and down impacts the spot market on oil. And by the way, with low energy prices, those types of vessels are in great demand today. But if you have that kind of an asset with a very strong counterparty and a long-term lease on it, you can mitigate a lot of the up and downside volatility associated with that. So the key points there are sectors which will do well will have more inelastic demand component to it and which will have sort of a lower beta and more contractual cash flow component. And then there are some segments within the credit space as well where you are lower levered and you are more on top of the capital structure and have more secured lines of cash flows on the underlying pool of assets. Those assets, again, will tend to be more resilient than assets which have more economically sensitive demand drivers associated with them. So it really sounds like the key in evaluating the impact of the spread of the virus on alternative investments is really their sensitivity to the overall business cycle and the ability for those cash flows that the assets do generate to basically be locked in and less subject to the ebb and flow of what's happening with growth on a day-to-day basis. Taking this one step further, you know, obviously the Fed has been quite active here over the past couple of weeks, last Sunday night, cutting rates down to zero, restarting QE, reopening the discount window. This week, they came out and said that they're going to start buying commercial paper from non-financial entities. Polka, can you talk a little bit about how this backdrop characterized by uncertainty and easy policy and more importantly, market volatility How does that backdrop lend itself to using core alternatives in a portfolio? In other words, how can core alternatives help offset some of the volatility that has been so prevalent in markets here over the course of the past couple of weeks? Sure. And as you just said, David, there's a lot happening every day, every week. And, you know, there's a concerted response by the central banks and the governments to boost confidence and sort of fix the supply chains which are getting plugged. But what's clear is that this is sort of leading to volatility in the market and sort of beginning of the end of the cycle and beginning of a new cycle. And if you take a little bit of a sort of history lesson on what happened in the last couple of recessions, so 2001, which was a tech-driven recession, and 2008, which was a real estate and financial services-driven recession, this recession, if it comes, it's going to be more triggered by the virus, but driven by a synchronized lowering of global growth. And that is basically means that what core alternatives or any asset class, sort of the best place to be in is where your risk premium is controlled in an environment where there is low growth. And this volatility creates two or three things which are of importance from an investment perspective. It creates winners and losers, and we talked about what are the winners and losers in the core alternative segment. It also creates the idea of looking at lowering of risk within the categories you are in and sort of opening up sort of a defensive bucket or lowering the beta of your existing pool of assets within your overall portfolio and also within your alternative sleeves. And finally, one important tool which exists today, which did not exist in the last couple of recessions from a core alternatives perspective, and actually multiple tools is that the menu of strategies available in the core alternatives world has expanded. And that expanded toolkit is important to utilize in a low growth environment because all of these core alternatives have one thing in common, which is they deliver low beta with higher income. And they have another thing in common, which is not common in a lot of financial assets, is that there's a lot of degrees of non-correlation which exist in the core alternative space. So there's not a lot in common between a multifamily contracted asset or oil tanker on lease for five to 10 years or, or water distribution utility, which has strong counterparty and cash flows. 
And what that leads to is even more important for investors is that it leads to a resiliency of income and also dampening of volatility and drawdown, which are key attributes which investors should look at in the environment we are in today. I think most people can probably agree that anything which comes across as having a low beta to equities and a high income component is certainly helpful and impactful in markets like the ones we're currently dealing with. So maybe just kind of bringing things to a close here with one final question. You know, a lot of the conversation we've had is about how core alternatives can help generate income, how they can provide diversification. But I think what's important for clients to recognize today is that with the move we've seen in both equities and fixed income, there's been a lot of rebalancing in portfolios that has already occurred. And so when we think about what comes next, right, and we always try to be forward looking on these podcasts. So thinking about what comes next, what are some areas within core alternatives, or maybe I'll even branch it out to alternatives broadly, that investors can think about if they want to either re-risk or de-risk, right? A lot of portfolios that we've been looking at actually are coming across as being underweight risk assets, given the sell-off that we've seen in equities. So how do you think about using different types of core alternatives, or again, alternatives broadly, to re-risk and de-risk portfolios? And then kind of the next step of that is, how do you think clients should be thinking about funding allocations to alternatives if they're not already actively investing in that space? Sure. I think there's a strategic and tactical element to that question. You know, when we came out with our 2020 long-term capital market assumptions, one of the themes there was this idea of rethinking safe haven assets, and that's really playing out today in the markets, where the traditional safe haven assets, which are currencies or precious metals or traditional fixed income, are doing that job either with volatility or rapidly shrinking income in the fixed income space. So in that strategic construct, we talk about sort of the role of which core alternatives can play as a complement to those traditional safe haven assets. If you look at a long-term outlook again, the 10 to 15-year outlook for most core alternative categories is similar to large-cap equities. While that's a longer-term view, what has happened in the last month or so is that there has been a natural rebalancing which has happened in portfolios. So the conversation, which was more about de-risking in January and February, has shifted towards a conversation about defense and being ready to sort of re-risk or being ready for sort of the end of the monetary policy tools and the fiscal tools really lead to an even more important role for the core alternative categories in that sort of long end of the treasury curve will actually see a little bit more challenges. So there's going to be a demand of investors to look at assets which have long time horizon cash flows, which can sort of complement that end of the fixed income world, which can complement or be a replacement for the corporate bonds or sort of higher risk areas within the fixed income space. So that's sort of the broader, bigger uh, strategic view. And then, you know, it depends really on what investors should do in terms of how they are really set up. So if they have an already existing portfolio of assets, they should try to look under the hood and see what are the types of risks they are carrying. And they should look at sort of adding a little bit more defensiveness to their existing portfolio of assets. And then for investors who are looking at these funding sources, which are now available to them because of this natural rebound balancing, they should look at building a foundation within the core alternative space and also keeping room for taking advantage of the dislocations which will arise as we go through this recovery process. One thing which is very important, and I'm a civil engineer by undergrad training, is that more so than ever before, 
it's important to have a strong foundation footing in your portfolios, whether it be any asset class. So the buildings that survive an earthquake are the buildings which have a strong foundation, and the buildings which actually rise the most are also the buildings which have a strong foundation. So core alternatives can play a very strong role. You know, liquidity is important. Lowering the beta of your portfolio is important, and using alternatives as a source for income is critical in an environment and the uncertain environment where we are living in today. Excellent. Polkit, thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you specifically for joining us on the Center for Investment Excellence. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today on JP Morgan's Center for Investment Excellence. CFA Institute members are encouraged to self-document their continuing professional development activities in their online CE tracker. If you found our insights useful, you can find more episodes anywhere you listen to podcasts and on our website. Recorded on March 19th, 2020. For the purposes of MIFID II, the JPM Market Insights and Portfolio Insights programs are marketing communications and are not in scope for any MIFID II MIFIR requirements specifically related to investment research. Furthermore, the JP Morgan Asset Management Market Insights and Portfolio Insights programs, as non-independent research, have not been prepared in accordance with legal requirements designed to promote the independence of investment research nor are they subject to any prohibition on dealing ahead of the dissemination of investment research. This document is a general communication being provided for informational purposes only. It is educational in nature and not designed to be taken as advice or a recommendation for any specific investment product, strategy, plan feature or other purpose in any jurisdiction, nor is it a commitment from J.P. Morgan Asset Management or any of its subsidiaries to participate in any of the transactions mentioned herein. Any examples used are generic, hypothetical and for illustration purposes only. This material does not contain sufficient information to support an investment decision and it should not be relied upon by you in evaluating the merits of investing in any securities or products. In addition, users should make an independent assessment of the legal, regulatory, tax, credit, and accounting implications and determine, together with their own professional advisors, if any investment mentioned herein is believed to be suitable to their personal goals, investors should ensure that they obtain all available relevant information before making any investment. Any forecasts, figures, opinions or investment techniques and strategies set out are for information purposes only, based on certain assumptions and current market conditions and are subject to change without prior notice. All information presented herein is considered to be accurate at the time of production but no warranty of accuracy is given and no liability in respect of any error or omission is accepted. It should be noted that investment involves risks. The value of investments and the income from them may fluctuate in accordance with market conditions and taxation agreements and investors may not get back the full amount invested. Both past performance and yields are not reliable indicators of current and future results. JP Morgan Asset Management is the brand for the asset management business of J.P. Morgan Chase & Company and its affiliates worldwide. To the extent permitted by applicable law, we may record telephone calls and monitor electronic communications to comply with our legal and regulatory obligations and internal policies. Personal data will be collected, stored and processed by J.P. Morgan Asset Management in accordance with our privacy policies at https colon slash slash am jpmorgan.com slash global slash privacy. This communication is issued by the following entities in the United Kingdom by JP Morgan Asset Management, UK, Limited, 
which is authorized and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority, in other European jurisdictions by J.P. Morgan Asset Management Europe S. A. Grave R.L., in Hong Kong by J.P. Morgan Asset Management, Asia Pacific, Limited, or J.P. Morgan Funds, Asia, Limited, or J.P. Morgan Asset Management Real Assets, Asia, Limited, in Singapore by J.P. Morgan Asset Management, Singapore, Limited, Company, Reg. No. 197,601,586 K. This advertisement or publication has not been reviewed by the Monetary Authority of Singapore, in Taiwan by J.P. Morgan Asset Management, Taiwan, Limited, in Japan by J.P. Morgan Asset Management, Japan, Limited which is a member of the Investment Trusts Association, Japan, the Japan Investment Advisors Association, Type 2 Financial Instruments Firms Association and the Japan Securities Dealers Association and is regulated by the Financial Services Agency. Registration Number Kanto Local Finance Bureau, Financial Instruments Firm, Number 330, in Australia to wholesale clients only as defined in Section 761A and 761G of the Corporations Act 2001, CTH by J.P. Morgan Asset Management, Australia, Limited, ABN 55143832080, AFSL 376919, in Brazil by Banco JP, Morgan SA, in Canada for institutional clients use only by JP Morgan Asset Management, Canada Inc., and in the United States by JP, Morgan Institutional Investments, Inc., member of FINRA, JP, Morgan Investment Management, Inc. or JP, Morgan Alternative Asset Management, Inc., in APIC, distribution is for Hong Kong, Taiwan, Japan and Singapore, for all other markets in APIC. To intended recipients only. Copyright 2020 JP Morgan Chase and Company All Rights Reserved.